Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, I'm talking today with Andy Fiffick, owner of Radair Complete Car Care in Cleveland, Ohio. Andy is a member of the ASA Mechanical Operations Committee and a shop owner with 10 locations. Andy, welcome to the show. You're welcome. Thank you. You're also the chairman of the Mobile Air Conditioning Society. Yeah, for quite a few years now. Let's talk a little bit about your role with the association. How long have you been the chairman of Max? I think this is starting my 13th year. Wow. And how long have you been with the organization? I've been with Max since 1986, and I've been on the board of directors, I believe, 21, 22 years now. So you're one of the pioneers, for sure, that have been with the organization almost from the beginning. Yeah, well, no, I, yeah, I've been with them, but yeah, but not, not in, a, in a role that was a pioneer for some time. You know, like any young businessman, starting your business, doing all that, you, you don't have time for anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you can get the time and you want, want to learn more and do more, it was a natural to run for the max board. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost my first year, didn't get on. I got on the second year and been, been on ever since. Well, any association requires the dedication and commitment of their volunteers, and you certainly fill that bill. You not only volunteer on the max board, but as I had mentioned, you're also working with the Automotive Service Association. When you got involved with Max, were you just doing HVAC work or air conditioning work? Yes, at that time, our name, Radar, basically insinuates we specialize in radiators and air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming to the uh, 1986 meeting, and it was obvious. H.H. Daniel Modine come out and said, we are no longer going to sell radiators directly and only to you guys, you know, the, the, uh, the radiator shops. We're going to start selling in the big box stores. Mm-hmm. So we knew immediately that our niche market was pretty much going to go away. And the second thing happened in 1986 that was particular, the Ford Taurus was car of the year. First car ever to have a plastic and aluminum radiator. Hmm. That was the the signal that rotted radiators were going to be going away. Mm -hmm. Now they had their growing pains with plastic tanks cracking that in the early years. But the handwriting was on the wall that radar needed to become radar complete car care. And we've never changed that name because we're so well-known by Radar already. So you do basically general service work, but with a specialty for air conditioning? Yes, yes. We're, we're still known as the AC guys in town. And we pretty much build a reputation that if nobody else could fix anything on a vehicle in Cleveland, we're the guys. We don't care how long it takes, what dedication is going to take. If it's a day, two days, three days, we're going to get that car fixed. To us, it's a matter of pride. You know, I always say, my guys tease me, I said, hey, man built it, man could fix it. Yeah. We just got to find out how to fix it. You are also one of actually what I think is a growing segment of the industry, which is a multi-shop operator. Again, you have 10 locations. How long did it take you to get to 10? It took us 11 years to get to number two. Wow. And then another 10 years to get up to 12. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we lost two locations because we're in the side of the Kmart service centers. Mm-hmm. When Kmart start closing stores up, we lost two facilities. But it gives us a strength in numbers for training in, in advertising and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll touch on the training for a minute. You know, I hire some of the best trainers to come to Cleveland. 
it's more cost effective for me to pay a trainer $5,000 to come in and train 50 guys than for me to send 50 guys to go out and get trained. Mm-hmm. I'll bring in you know, some of the real big hitters, Craig Van Bantenberg. We've been uh, with him since day one. He comes out every year, gives us an update clinic on hybrids. Mm-hmm. We started our Cleveland hybrid division back 10 years ago. We're kind of the guys in Cleveland that does hybrid and electric too. So you've been actually quite progressive when it comes to expanding your service offerings. You know what? That's part of being ASA. That's part of being with Max. And and one thing that the listeners may not realize that when you come to an event like Max or, or you go to any other training event, there's a secondary knowledge that you get that you can't get anywhere else. It's talking with your peers from all around the country. Mm. I come away with two or three great ideas because I'm having lunch with somebody or I'm talking to them in the hallway or I just got out of a training clinic with them and it's like, hey, how do you do this? What do you got that? Have you tried this software? What works best for this diagnostic procedure? I come away with a renewed enthusiasm on a lot of things we're doing because I'm talking to guys like us. Mm -hmm. They're, They're the guys doing it every day and you can't get that anywhere else. You know, we call that networking, I think, yeah, these days. But exactly. uh, it's true. Many of the industry meetings I go to, it seems that it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a joke sometimes. The real work gets done on the breaks between the sessions because that's where all of the participants begin to interact. Yes, and I noticed something sitting in on this event this time, and it's been growing. It used to be that the trainer would be up there pretty much just spewing stuff out, and we took it. I've noticed lately the caliber of people we are getting, they're now interacting with the trainers going, hey, is that voltage right here? I've noticed I've had this on my car. It's now become a two-way street where our guys are even training the trainers, Hmm. you know, because now they got to go back and go, we didn't realize that was happening in the industry on our whatever maker model, you know, so it's it's a two-way street. And I heard what you talked about with Elvis and Ward, that this started 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's still continuing. The interaction between the federal government, the EPA, SAE, ASE, Max, mm-hmm. and the manufacturers, it only happens at a thing like this. This may be the most unique event that that really takes place at. Well, Max is somewhat unique in, in their relationship with the, uh, with the federal government. They have been for years. But you are also unique in that you have basically embraced the value of training so much so that you mentioned you bring trainers into your location because it's, it's a more effective way to do it, given your number of locations. Those shops who only have maybe one or two locations, and obviously one location is, is the most typical, depend on these types of events, I think, to keep up to speed. As the chairman of Max, this happens to be the 40th anniversary. The organization has been around for a while. What are the plans for going forward with the training? What Number one, you know, I'm chairman of the board, mm-hmm. and actually, we are so lucky to have a great representation of the old total industry. Mm-hmm. Twelve of us plus one past chairman, so thirteen total. So we have four members of manufacturing, we have four members of distribution, we have four members from the service sector side. So we have a very great group of people that really, when we get in the meeting, we talk things through. One of the things that was apparent, we need to go out and do more training. So the board of directors just two nights ago at our meeting. We voted a significant amount of money to allow them to go out and buy and get more trainers. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're bringing the best of the best trainers into the max fold so we could get out to those shops. So we could, we'll join up with a parts distributor. We'll join up with a manufacturer in town. We'll join up with a, a large uh, a parts store in town. And we get those mom-and-pop shops, those one-offs, the ability to come in and see our training at a very nominal price. Mm. So we're almost doubling that program in the MAX organization now. Now, I've asked this question earlier. 
are you seeing the training grow? Are more getting involved, or is there still struggle to get them to actually take advantage of it? The progressive ones do. Hmm. The ones that have their head in the sand, you can't force them to train. Mm -hmm. Actually, I've been introducing our speakers here at the event. Part of what I do is to say, I want to congratulate you for being here because you're the leaders of this industry. Hmm. The people that realize we need the training, we need to do it, they're the ones that show up here. And I'll guarantee you, they'll go back to their town, and those are the go-to shops in their town because mm -hmm. they're the ones that's progressive. They're the ones that's staying with it. Well, there's an old saying, the, uh, the world is run by those who show up, and that is, I found that to be very true. Yes. So what do you see as some of the biggest challenges as a multi-shop operator, as a shop owner, that uh, you see coming down the pike? I know we've talked a lot about some of the new technology. We've talked about uh, you know, some of the changes on the refrigerant side of the equation. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges you're going to have going forward? Well, you know, the technology is, is no doubt a challenge. It doesn't scare me, though, because you have the ability to get that knowledge. What scares me is we don't have technicians entering the field. We don't have young people coming in that have the drive, the thirst for knowledge, the work ethic, and the understanding what our jobs are. I was on the task force for the state of Ohio looking at why we can't fill the realms of all the vocations. Mm -hmm. The governor uh, reached out to us in the industry, and I participated in, in uh, quite a few discussions and studies. And it basically came down to mom and pop had a negative connotation about working with your hands. Mm. You know, so whether, well, I don't want a little Billy to be a, you know, a plumber or a carpenter or, or a mason or a technician or mechanic if we want to call it that mm -hmm. and I have no problem with mechanic or technician you know AJ Foyt was a mechanic turned out to be quite a race car driver <laughs> you know our David Starr yesterday that was our keynote speaker here NASCAR race car driver his dad owned a transmission shop he started as a mechanic mm -hmm. you know so we kind of transferred the, the term technician because we are a little more technical but I don't have a problem with that but mom and dad doesn't allow the children to think Otherwise, then they have to somehow get a college degree or be really good in school and this and that. There's people like us that kind of like math. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was the one thing I did like, but love shop class uh -huh. and welding class. You know, and my dad was a truck technician or mechanic. Six years old, I was helping him in the garage, so I fell in love early. Mm -hmm. But I see, and here's a perfect story. We were in a little court proceeding a little while ago, and the court stenographer realized who we were, and he goes, hey, I got this stepson, his dad was a mechanic, his uncle was a mechanic, and he's really lost because his dad pushed him to do everything and go to college, and now he's unhappy and unemployed. Hmm. Could you talk to him? I talked to the young man. I said, you know, what do you want to do? He says, well, I think I'd really like to get back and look at doing car work. I used to do it with my dad. That family pushed him into the college realms. Probably should have never been there. Mm -hmm. So I got him an uh, interview with the Tri-C Automotive Program, the GM ASAP program. Mm -hmm. We're interviewing with him over there next week. I'm going to try to get him in the program. If he wants to do it, we're going to give him that avenue. I have been involved with several organizations. One of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge we face as an industry, is finding the talent we need. Yeah. For just the reasons you say, I've often felt that there's almost a societal bias against the trades in this country uh, because we tend to, as you say, we tend to want, and, and nothing wrong with wanting your kids to do better, no question about it, but of course, I think a lot is missed when it comes to the actual opportunities that are available for those working in the field. And I think that the appreciation for the dignity of work has often slipped over the years because we tend to 
focus on the stereotypes. It's not the same industry it was yeah. when you and I got into it, I know. And it's a much more, as you said, high-tech type of, of endeavor these days. That's what's lost. In my day, if you weren't good at English and math and all those things, you kind of got pushed into the, into the shop classes and that. They put you there. That Maybe that's why it's still today that way. But today, to do what we do, we need almost the brightest of the brightest. When you're talking about reflashing cars and doing everything else, like Ward said earlier, we're fixing more cars with reflash programs than we are mechanically sometimes in a week. You know, it's being, well, the fix is reflash the computer mm-hmm. you know, or the ECM. I was in the Nissan class yesterday, the new BCM, which they have a fancy name for. It now bypasses the fuse circuit, and it has a counter. If it encounters a failure in the electrical side of any circuit, five times it shuts the circuit down. Hmm. So it can't burn it up. It'll recycle on the key start. So you cycle on and off, it'll count five more times. If it ever gets to the count 100, you have to replace the BCM. Wow. There's no way to reset it. So you've got to be sharp enough to be able to catch this before it gets to 100, or you just got your client five $600 computer. Yeah. We see on a daily basis in our 10 shops misdiagnosis by other shops that just totally missed the mark. You know, if you take direct injection engines, and I don't want to get off your topic here, but the direct injection engine, we had, we hired a trainer to come in last year, and they don't even know, the engineers don't need know how to tell us to diagnose some of this stuff. Quick example, the direct injection injector itself has capability to change the pattern, the pulse width, and everything 100,000 times a minute. So I may be looking for a two millisecond pulse, then I may be looking for another three second, three millisecond puff, then another followed up by a two millisecond stream of fuel you want in that cylinder to get the combustion pattern the way they want. We have no way of knowing it's doing that. Hmm. You just simply don't know, did it pulse, puff, stream, or did it stream, puff, pulse? You have no cue. So what we have to look at is, what was the fuel rail pressure drop when that injector fired? How many RPMs did we pick up with an injector fired? And how does that compare to the other five cylinders? So you got to backwards go in and look at, there's something wrong with that injector. Mm-hmm. Or do I have a leaking valve? Or do I have a bad valve guide? Or do I have worn compression rings on that cylinder? There's no way to check some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. you got to have a bigger mind and a full understanding of what's going on to finally go, I think i got to change the injector. Yeah. And then we just swap one soul and another, see if it follows, before we spend $300 on an injector for a client. But the technology and the knowledge and, the, and how sharp you need to be to understand that, that's gone a hundredfold since you and I started. Yeah. We did points and condensers and chokes, you know, and, and you set the timing. You know, you did that once a year. Yeah. The car is doing that 100,000 times a minute. Yeah. And actually, uh, your point is well taken about we need the best and the brightest. We need kids that are good. They, they call them the STEM skills, science, technology, you know, engineering, and math. And we need individuals with good communication skills. I was interviewing one of the instructors here yesterday, and the process he was describing of load shedding that the vehicle is programmed to do in order to compensate for a failure in the electrical system complicates the diagnostic process beyond belief. And keeping up with these changes, keeping up with this level of information is a full-time job. Training is a given if you're going to be in the industry. And if there is such a thing as job security anymore, it's probably in the trades because that level of understanding of what you're dealing with 
is something that is acquired only over a long period of time. It's not intuitive anymore, as, as you had just yeah. alluded to when it was points and condensers. Actually, I totally agree with you. And, and it, let me give you an example. We've actually lost technicians to elevator repair companies because the job was simple. Hmm. They didn't want to go do the training or put up with what we have to do. Mm-hmm. You've got to want this. And you got to have that mechanic gene. If you ever look at our website, I have a little our story on there. Mm-hmm. And I talk about the mechanic gene. The, the technician that has the mechanic gene, in my nomenclature, they're the ones they look at the big picture and go, I need to start here. Or I understand that timing is probably off. i got to go look at this. Mm-hmm. But that comes from not only training, that comes from on-the-job skills and experience. Yeah. And unfortunately, the guys that have that right now, they're going away. We're getting older. Yeah. And it's not just us. Like you mentioned, the bricklayers, the carpenters, the plumbers, the electricians, all the trades. Nobody has anybody coming behind us. So maybe the value will go up where we're so much more valuable. We could offer more money than we could go in there. Well, there, there is that, yeah. And if you're talking about being able to earn a living and feed your family, being a well-trained technician is, is a great way to do that. But I've often been surprised that the wages haven't risen more quickly, given the shortage that we seem to be developing. Do you see that changing? It is changing. There's no doubt. But it's also created a problem. We developed in the industry uh, a job hopper mentality in some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm working here. You hire me out for $2 more, I'll be, be your guy. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, he's out the door for the next guy. Mm. You know, they, they don't want to put the time in to, to really become the best of the best. They're just going to fill the hole. And unfortunately, our industry, we're paying them because we need a body. Mm-hmm. When a guy comes in interviews and I ask him why he wants to leave, if they tell me it's for more money, I guess he's going to do the same thing to you. Mm-hmm. If he's leaving because the work environment's not right or they're not giving him training, wow, that's the home run. Yeah. And that's where we excel. But back to your point there, I'm hoping that the value comes up enough that the guy I lost to an elevator company could make $2 more an hour. There's not 450 models of them. Two or three companies, they work the same way. The technician I'm losing to go, I lost one to go work on computers. Mm-hmm. You're not programming, you're plugging and playing. We're programming. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of places now are supplying the tools for the guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a $10,000, $15,000 investment. But if the tools are there... That new young person doesn't have to make that investment. It's worth keeping them. So Well, and you're touching on some innovative ways we are looking at addressing the technician shortage. It sounds like you personally have been involved in doing some outreach to, uh, to talk to parents, talk to you know, prospective students. Is Max doing anything as an organization? We're attempting to do that. We do a lot of that with the vocational schools already. Mm-hmm. But personally, when I was on the task force for the state of Ohio, we were meeting with parents, and, and literally, as you brought up, there isn't any guarantee when you go to college what you're going to end up with, you know, as far as a job. If you go to a trade school, and probably anyone, but I can only speak specifically for ours, if, if you become a, a mechanic technician, and let's say you go through the two-year associates program at, you know, through the Tri-C College in our area, the GMASEP program and that, you come out, you're already earning a family-sustaining wage. Mm-hmm. And it only goes up from there the better you get. You can't say that about college. Mm -hmm. You have a rewarding job if you do our side of it. And again, it could be any of the trades. The connotation that working hard for a living is a bad thing is wrong. When you consider the fact that you have to have quality to get in the game these days, 
And as you mentioned, having that skill set, that's something that is yours. They can't yeah. take it away from you. And I would imagine businesses like yourselves are bending over backwards to keep the good ones with things like a health care plan. Uh, you have a 401k in your business. Yes, ever, we have all the benefits that you could have. We don't have a problem keeping our people. Mm -hmm. And that's a two-edged sword because now I got so many guys that are with me forever. They're getting up there in age, and I get look at, gosh, I got to bring in some reinforcements because the older guys, they don't want to work Saturdays. They don't want so much overtime anymore. You know, their kids are now grown, you know, they, and you got to respect that. Our average guy works about 52 hours a week. Mm. You know, that's, that's pretty much the given, and that's probably on the low side of a lot of guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the good ones, they go home and play in their garage on their Harleys and their hot rods and stuff and that. So you got to give them their personal time. But our biggest problem in our industry uh, right now is who are we going to replace our guys with? Yeah. And that has the passion, the drive, the willingness, and the want to do it. We talk a lot about mentoring programs and knowledge transfer and everything else, but it's a shame. We need the good ones to be productive, to keep up with the, with the demand that we have in our, in our businesses many times. They don't have the time, in some cases, or the inclination to do the mentoring. Are you looking at those types of things? You mentioned your, your aging workforce. Is that how you're thinking about maybe using some of the uh, better technicians that are, are getting up there to give them something to allow them to, again, transfer that knowledge? That's been ongoing with us forever. Mm -hmm. Anytime we get in a, a new person, they actually get assigned to a tech. Mm -hmm. And they will spend one or two months, depending on what's going on and how they absorb let's say doing timing belts. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's an upper level skill set today. Yeah. But we'll assign that to one technician and then I'll move him to the next one. So he's learning the best of the best from all those guys. Mm -hmm. And the older technicians don't mind that at all because the guys kind of get to do the grunt work a little bit, you know, yeah. just like any other job. The entry guy gets the grunt work. But yes, we have to transfer that knowledge. And, and that's one of the best ways of doing them work alongside with it. So, you know, let's make sure he's got that skill set done before we move on to the bigger and better stuff. Mm, so you're actually investing in the employees. You have to. And you know what? And part of that is... The guy doing the training gets a lot of self-worth also. Mm -hmm. It's rewarding for him to pass it on. Well, there's, there's benefits on both ends. Of yeah. Well, Andy, we could go on forever, but I see we're running out of time. Any last words? If you know anybody that wants to be a technician, let them know it's a great industry to be in. Yeah, and I will, I will do that actually on a regular basis. So we have been talking with Andy Fiffick, uh, chairman of the Mobile Air Conditioning Society and owner of Radair in Cleveland, Ohio. Andy, thank you for your time. Thank you, Tony. And it's been great, and we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Have a great day. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening, and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.